Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better, too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. The year is 2004, and today we're going to find out if you're in our burn book. The movie, Mean Girls. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Unspooled. Unspooled Season 2. Amy, I'm so excited that we are back for a very big, big season. I think Season 2 is going to be even bigger than Season 1, which blows my mind. Because in Season 1, we set out to climb a mountain. A hundred films are on the AFI list. And you know what? We're just going to build an even bigger mountain. Yeah, we don't know where this ends. But what we're going to do here, uh, if you don't know, is build small miniseries based around genres or types of films. We want to go worldwide. We want to be inclusive. We want to represent voices that uh, maybe haven't been heard so far on this show. So we'll be uh, doing a few things that are different, many things that are the same. And I'm just excited to kind of get into some movies that don't get the love they deserve. Exactly. Or movies that get a lot of love, but haven't gotten enough love to make it on the AFI list like today's film. And of course, We have been saying this, but I want to say this real clear. We are going to figure out the real best 100 movies of all time, and then we are going to immortalize them by blasting them off into space. This planet may get destroyed, but the 100 best movies of all time will be out there. The aliens will know that we existed. I love it. We are the premise of a future Star Trek episode, which brings us to (laughs) today's episode. 2004 was so fetched. George W. Bush wins the presidential election against John Kerry, Condoleezza Rice replaces Colin Powell as the Secretary of State, and Martha Stewart spends five months in federal prison. Mark Zuckerberg launches his social networking site for Harvard students called thefacebook.com. Friends airs its final episode. Janet Jackson's breast is exposed at the Super Bowl halftime show, coining the term wardrobe malfunction. The Boston Red Sox win the World Series for the first time since 1918. And the big movies are Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Million Dollar Baby, The Incredibles, Meet the Fockers, Spider-Man 2, Shrek 2, and today's film, 
Mean Girls. Let's listen to a clip. Of course, all the plastics are in the same gym class. Who are the plastics? They're teen royalty. If North Shore was Us Weekly, they would always be on the cover. That one there, that's Karen Smith. She is one of the dumbest girls you will ever meet. Damien sat next to her in English last year. She asked me how to spell orange. <laughs> that little one? That's Gretchen Wieners. She's totally rich because her dad invented toaster strudel. Gretchen Wieners knows everybody's business. She knows everything about everyone. That's why her hair is so big. It's full of secrets. Hey, hey, um, what's happening? And evil takes a human form in Regina George. I'll be fooled, because she may seem like your typical selfish, backstabbing, slut-faced hoe bag, but in reality, she is so much more than that. Amy, Mean Girls. Who's in it? What's it about? Mean Girls. It is directed by Mark Waters, written by Tina Fey, her screenplay debut in Hollywood. And it is the story of literally the title, Mean Girls. What is happening in this high school between the cliques? How does a high school function inside of its own hierarchy? And the victims and villains of the film would be Lindsay Lohan playing Katie Heron. She's a girl who just shows up after being homeschooled somewhere in Africa, learning how to battle the cliques called the Plastics, who are headed by Rachel McAdams as Regina George, Lacey Chaubert as Gretchen Wieners, and Amanda Seyfried as Karen Smith. People that she has aligned on her side, her best frenemies include the goth girl Janice Ian and her other best friend Damien Lee, played by Daniel Franzizi. And what happens in this film is a lot of gossip, backbiting social currency, people stealing each other's boyfriends. And I thought, man, we are really interested in girl culture and backstabbing and, oh my God, wardrobe malfunctions and what is happening with women. And I thought, how much was that in the zeitgeist the weekend that Mean Girls comes out? So I went hunting to see what was the number one song on the Billboard charts to test it out. So I thought we should take that and rewind it back. Because the weekend of April 30th, when Mean Girls was on the charts, Usher's Yeah was number one on the Billboard charts. And if you remember the lyrics of the song, it actually is about this. Usher meets a girl at a nightclub. This girl is incredibly powerful and charismatic. She starts to dance on him. He doesn't realize that she is his girlfriend's friend and there is a whole girl drama happening behind this. So if you are going to ask Usher, does he feel like Aaron Samuels, the hunk who's at war in this entire movie? Does he feel like Aaron Samuels in this moment? Well, let's ask him. Well, first of all, Amy, let me just tell you that that Usher song was my first dance at my wedding. What? No joke. That's so romantic. Yeah. <laughs> Did a girl try would... to move in on June and be like, I'm the best friend and I'm going to dance up on him? We acted it out with every member of my family. We had a fully choreographed dance number. June's dad played Ludacris. was really fun. We lip synced. We danced. At that point, I don't know if it's still going on, but... There's a lot of pressure on what your first dance is going to be. And there's a lot of bits. And we got our whole family involved to that song. And it was so stressful. I was the girl. <laughs> June was the usher. And uh, and we did it. We pulled it all together. Is there a video of this? There's pictures of it. I'll show you some pictures of it. Uh, I mean, I would love to see just a react reenactment, especially June's dad, because he's now officially <laughs> the coolest person I've ever heard of. It's amazing. Um, you know, Amy, I was thinking about this movie and I want to just put this in context as we talk about it. This is pretty much right at the birth of the Internet. The Internet does not play a part in this film. And it's actually, I think, to the film's credit, it feels so relevant right now. But yet we're missing a big part of, I think, how mean girl culture communicates right now through 
a lot of texting and internet, right? This movie has a little bit of a quaintness to it. Like they're on the phone. There's not much texting happening. And I, and I thought it was kind of a good choice because in a way it keeps the film really timeless. That's actually an interesting point to bring up straight away because I have a theory that one of the reasons why Mean Girls has this cultural relevance that it does is because it's right at that sweet spot of before gifts were everywhere, but right when everyone would have seen this movie who now makes gifts, because this mm-hmm. is one of the most heavily gift movies on the planet. It's all gifts. It's all memes. It is everywhere. And it has this like, it's, it's supposedly one of the most popular films ever on Tumblr. So I think the internet and the women who loved it, who were on the internet, even if it's not represented in the film, have helped make this such an icon. But I did hear that like, you know, Facebook came out right around this. And someone was writing, you know, their own memoir of of Mean Girls. And they said, what's wild is like, this movie came out. And then straight away, like, when I got to school the next year, there were Facebook groups called like The Burn Book. And and they almost adopted the culture of Mean Girls and put it on the internet straight away. But yeah, no, to your point, I mean, it makes me think of how we were talking about The Wizard of Oz becoming popular because of TV reruns and the same thing happening to It's a Wonderful Life. You could almost make an argument that Mean Girls has the place in the culture that it does because of the internet, because of the memes. Yeah, I also think what makes this film work, and I haven't seen this film in such a long time, is... It's incredibly relatable, right? These are not super wealthy people. They're not terribly extreme people. Like, yes, there are some really funny moments and slightly, slightly heightened characters, but they're not like, I think uh, in the film, Amy Poehler plays Rachel McAdams' mother. And that's probably the most heightened performance in the film. But the rest is incredibly grounded. And I think in a time where you're watching films or Connections to films like Clueless or Cruel Intentions. Um, This is a nice slice of relatable life. You know, I think so much of that is because this movie was based on a book that was a sociological examination of a real high school. It wasn't just people trying to remember what high school was like and heightening things in their imagination, although there was a lot of that, too, on behalf of Tina Fey, which we'll definitely talk about in a second. But this film, Tina Fey got the idea to even make it from a book called Queen Bees and Wannabes by Rosalind Weissman, who is an academic and a sociologist who spent her time in high schools understanding how mean girl systems works. Actually, she spent even more time in middle schools because she said the cliques that you see in this film are even worse in sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And what she would do is she would go into high schools, talk to girls about cliques, basically live out the scene that you see Tina Fey do in this film when they have a whole meltdown. Okay, so we're all here because of this book, right? Well, I don't know who wrote this book, but you all have got to stop calling each other sluts and whores. It just makes it okay for guys to call you sluts and whores. Who here has ever been called a slut? Okay, everybody up. Miss Norbury had us write out apologies to people that we'd hurt in our lives. Alyssa, I'm sorry I called you a gap-toothed bitch. It's not your fault you're so gap-toothed. And so, yeah, I mean, non-apology, apologies aside, uh, there is a real truth to how this film worked. Tina Fey took real-life stories and her own real-life stories and merged them into one. And in a way, was purging her own story of being a self-admitted mean girl in high school. Not a queen bee, not popular, but like, the snarky girl making fun of everybody, being cruel and using humor to get power. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things about this film is it shows 
just how many clicks there are. It's just not jocks and nerds. And I think a lot of the times we're relegated to just a very fine point of, you know, stoner, nerd, burnout, whatever it is in high school movies. And this showed like thriving ecosystems on each part. We don't get to explore all of them. We get to get a little taste of it. I think the film does an amazing job of, you know, bringing Lindsay Lohan's character in. She's new to this world. So we're hearing her interpretation of everything. And then we're also, uh, Lizzie Kaplan is walking us through with like almost a competing voiceover explaining the school. And within 10 minutes, you get the lay of this land and it just sets the table for the entire film because the film really is about these relationships and the way that we kind of compromise ourselves in high school to fit in or how we make friends. And, and I think that that really, to me, is the enduring thing. It's Yes, it's called Mean Girls, but it's not necessarily about Mean Girls. It's about a high school experience. I mean, that kind of a scene where a, a tour guide, I guess you could say, or maybe a zoologist walks you through the high school and explains how it all works is one of my favorite scenes in every teen movie. You know, I love it in Clueless. I love it here. And it's funny, I mean, even in Queen Bees, there's a map in that book where the author Rosalind asked a couple high school girls to draw a map of her high school and how it functions. And it's so detailed. It's really fascinating. I mean, this high school girl was like in a real high school. You have the preppy tree over here. You have the sex tree where people make out. You have the gothics and the LGBTQ tree. That's where they hang out. The hacky sack kids are here. The unpopular party kids, the guys who do too much ecstasy, they're over here. It is incredibly regimented. I mean, this ecosystem, when you're in school, you know how it works. You you know how every single little corner of it works. And everybody has these distinct roles, even, even in the world of the mean girls part. Like Rosalind drew this distinction. And as I list these, I want to like have people think about, like, can you see these characters in the script? You have the queen bee, who's like the cruel, the mean one. You have the sidekick who backs her up. You have the banker who like collects social currency and gossip on everybody and doles it out when needed for power. You have the floater who's able to get around and survive everything. And she's a very rare character, Rosalind stresses. It's like, if you think your daughter is a floater, she is probably not. The torn bystander who's on the side, like making agonizing motions and always hurting themselves to try to make everybody happy. And the pleaser and the wannabe. And then finally the target. And, and she's like, this is how it all breaks down. I have studied this. This is real. And Tina Fey takes that and interprets it into characters and puts everybody into these different boxes. I think the one who hits the most of those boxes is Lacey Chaubert's Gretchen Wieners, you know, who is such a torn, complicated, broken character using gossip to control people, but also so insecure. You're talking about something here that I haven't really been able to put my finger on, but these characters are more flawed and human than we're used to seeing. Sure, Rachel McAdams is bad, or but she's not, like, despicable. I mean, you know, she's she makes choices because of where she's feeling emotionally, and she's a high schooler, so it's okay. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, do you feel that at all? Yeah, I mean, I think this script... And, and the film does such a smart job in building up the idea of how these girls are seen and who they really are. You know, there's that montage right at the beginning where the girls of the school explain who they think Regina is. And it's mental. You know, none of it can be true. Regina George. How do I even begin to explain Regina George? Regina George is flawless. She has two Fendi purses and a silver Lexus. I hear her hair is insured for $10,000. I hear she does car commercials in Japan. Her favorite movie is Varsity Blues. One time she met John Stamos on a plane. And he told her she was pretty. One time she punched me in the face. It was awesome. And from there, 
in a comedic way. Like, it's not like here's the violins and the sadness of Regina George. But you see that her mom has no boundaries for her, that her younger daughter is basically acting exactly like I don't know if you ever watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Um, but when you watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians in the only handful of episodes I ever saw, I swear, huh. early, early on, like season one, you see Kylie and Kendall on a stripper pole in their own house. Like in their wow. little children, they are little ass girls and they're on that stripper pole. They must be eight or nine. And you see that even happening in Regina George's house here, her little sister flashing the TV and playing all spring break. And there's this anger there. I mean, one of the things that, that Mark told Rachel McAdams about this character is that he wanted her to listen to Courtney Love really, really loud and to watch Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary Glenn Ross and get the anger of this girl and not just make her this terrifying demon. You know, when Rachel McAdams wasn't even supposed to play that part, it was originally viewed as a vehicle for Lindsay Lohan, but then she thought, I don't want to be viewed as a mean girl. So she moved over to the part that she has. Yeah, although I don't even know if it was so much that she didn't want to be seen as a mean girl, but like the people making money off of her were like, she's (laughs) seen as this sweet girl and we can't have her play the villain. And I think Lindsay reluctantly was like, fine, but not happy about it. Wow. You know, I think, The other part about Lindsay Lohan that makes this movie a little bit tough to watch is you remember that version of Lindsay Lohan. I think that's like the hardest thing for me to wrap my head around because she's changed so much, right? Like this is uh, kind of on the heels of the Freaky Friday, you know, Disney kid. Like there is something so, so kind of innocent about her. And then I looked at a picture of her the other day uh, after I watched this movie, I was like, oh, my God, it, like it almost took my breath away because you've just seen the transformation of of this person. Yeah, I think I think that there's so much to talk about in there, because what was really knocking me upside the head watching Mean Girls is remembering what it was like to be a young girl in 2004 and how insane the world was. Because, mm. you know, you look around in 2004 It feels back when I look at it that all of pop culture was about destroying young girls, honestly. You know, it was not that big of a deal to call a girl a slut or ugly in person or in like the paper or in like a tabloid or on a blog. You know, now now I think even when like somebody says something dumb on Twitter, if somebody insults their appearance, somebody knows to jump in and say insult their idea and not their appearance. But in 2004, it feels like all bets are off. I mean, even just Janet Jackson. And the shaming she got for the Super Bowl scene, even the way like, well, the way that Janet Jackson was penalized, but Justin Timberlake was not right. It was like, oh, he's an innocent bystander to this thing. You know, he should be protected. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And and it just I remember 2004 just felt like a real moment of fear. Mm. People are chasing Tara Reid on the street and making fun of her. You know, the the rise and destruction of Paris Hilton was going on like. Basically, if you were a teen girl in the public eye, if you were Britney Spears, if you were Christina Aguilera, all bets were off. And so you were not safe. But you're also watching it on TV. Like this is the time that MTV is playing The Hills or Laguna Beach or whatever it was at that point, you know, where you are watching these relationships play out. I think what this movie does uh, in watching it, besides being incredibly funny, let's just say that too. Like this movie is super funny. It's filled with Amazing uh, characters on every side, whether it's, you know, obviously Tina Fey, Tim Meadows, Neil Flynn, Anna Gasteyer, like so many great just all star, like, you know, character actors just killing it. Um, What I think they do in this movie really well is they make somebody like Lizzie Kaplan 
also flawed. She is also a mean girl. Like, everyone is a mean girl. When Tina Fey brings everybody into that auditorium and, and asks them, like, have you ever said anything behind somebody's back and everyone's hands raise? It's like, I like this movie because it just says we all, we can all do this. This is not just relegated to the most popular. And yes, that is a click in this school, but everyone's behaving the same way. And we need to uplift each other instead of tear each other down. And I think we're seeing this literally on social media. I think a couple of weeks ago, there was this thing where women were posting black and white pictures of themselves and it was to uplift and show them in a positive light. And immediately people are attacking it. Like, what, you know, just making fun of it. And, you know, I think you see this energy in regards to Karens. Like, we have a name for women who have gone nuts, but we don't really have a name for men that have gone nuts, right? I think this is why the movie stays relevant, because society is attacking women a lot. And then internally, women attack women a lot. And it's it's and I think this movie is like, stop doing this. You know, that I think that's what Tina Fey is trying to I think in part that's the message I think that comes out of it. it I mean, it's funny because you you know you would even think that like Katie, for example, you know, having grown up completely on the other side of the world from an American high school system like this would be innocent. But even at the beginning, she's doing it. She's making fun of homeschool kids. So yeah, there is something just innate about this. And I do think it is so funny that the homeschool kids are like, did you know we have guns to shoot dinosaurs? It says so in the Bible. Uh, and, now, <laughs> and now I feel like there's more of them and they're more in power. Here we go. <laughs> By the way, yeah, all like, of our kids are homeschool kids. I am now uh, teaching two homeschool kids. Please open the schools. Well, when they're safe to open, please. <laughs> well, your kids are very smart, and I'm sure they will all have a PhD in Home Alone by the time this is over. <laughs> <laughs> I am literally teaching from a Star Wars workbook in the interim right now during the summer. We got like a Star Wars first grade math book, and it really, it's really uh, opened up our learning process. Wow. If you have Emperor five... Palpatine has two lightsabers, and he combines them with four uh, crystals, kyber crystals. How many lightsabers can he make? Wow. If three Ewoks mate with nine Ewoks, how many baby Ewoks will you have? Well, Ewoks always have triplets, Amy, so that's going to be a tough question. But uh... I know. And you know that, like, to get it on. <laughs> but really, but, but back to this point, like, I feel like 2004 was one of the meaner moments we have had, even though we are in a culture of mean. And so what fascinates me about this film is, like, well, not mean only— mean goes like... mainstream, right? Yeah, I mean, mean, internet is making mean go mainstream. And— you could get it without actually having direct contact, which makes it so much easier. Like you could talk behind people's back. You can be anonymous. You could online bully. It's it's grown from there. But like we've taken this small thing. When you put it online, it's forever there. It's forever there. I mean, apparently, like even on the set, one of the things that Lindsay Lohan kept trying to talk to Tina Fey about was her fight with Hillary Duff, that they were like having some sort of beef and it was getting blown out of proportion. And, and so it's this, I think this movie does such a great job of capturing the self-attacking that's happening. The, the kind of like firing squad in a circle mentality of femalehood. But then watching this, I also remember how in 2004, it felt like there was another firing squad encircling that firing squad and firing on them too. And that it was coming at you from all cylinders. And that's why, it does hurt a little bit to see to see Lindsay Lohan in this movie because it feels like here's a movie that really laid out how we bully young girls. And we're all like, wow, that's a great movie. We really love this movie. Let's keep doing that, though, to Lindsay Lohan until she becomes incredibly insecure and then does things to self-sabotage. And then we make fun of her even more. And it feels like we love this movie, but also 
when I look at her particularly, we, we didn't get it. Yeah, I think you're right. It's sad. This movie, I believe, is aspirational. I think when you see it, you want to make this commitment to be like Katie at the end when she doesn't even talk about whose burn book it is. But it's so easy to fall into these traps, to make fun of people, to, you know, I mean, look, I watch 90 Day Fiance. I can make all the comments I want. Reality TV in a weird way is set up just to judge. I mean, you are looking at people's lives and you're going, I can do this so much better. Or, you know, it it creates a sense of envy. It creates a, a sense of superiority. You know, America likes to judge. And that's something that's so hard to get away from. And I do believe that's what elevates this movie and makes it more timeless and more influential in the pantheon of teen films because this message is not going out of style. Like this movie could have been released this year. And I felt like when I watched it, it didn't feel old to me. And that to me is tricky with a teen movie. Like how do you make it not feel old? God, that's, you know, when I was thinking about this movie, I kept thinking, man, I really want to believe that kids in high school today aren't living this life. You know, like the impression I have as now an old person is that kids these days are being raised to have a lot more empathy and to be Mm -hmm. more inclusive and to be more open and to be more permissive. And the truth is, I don't know that many kids, so I don't know if that's true. I really want to believe. Look, that. I'm not I'm not studying children either. I don't know if it's entirely true, but I well, I, think... I could swear so you parked in front of the high school with binoculars. Hey, don't talk. Hey, uh, cut this. Please cut this from the podcast. <laughs> no, um, but why I think, are you staring at the math Uh You know, I just they uh, they're just so impressive. Their math skills. Um, you know, I used to want to name my firstborn son Mathlete. I'm serious. I thought it'd be a really fun name. No, Amy, that's like that's like a weirdo celebrity name for their baby. It's like you know, mathlete. My gosh, I was a mathlete. Were I mean, you? Well, I'm a, I was on the math wall of fame. Wow. Congratulations. I was never okay. a math, a math head. Um, look, I think that you probably, were just a meth head. I was a meth head. I'm, and by the way, I was in that group in high school, which was a tough group to be in. I mean, when you're <laughs> hardcore addicted to meth and you're 14, it is rough. Um but I was very productive. I mean, I reprogrammed all my remote controls. I do think that probably there is this middle ground that we're talking about. I think that people are more inclusive. I think that depending on where you are in the country, you might be more accepting of a lifestyle that is different than yours, whatever that is, right? Uh, I think I would hope that, you know, with younger people, the idea of racism is is fading away. I can't make that statement assuredly, but I do think there's always going to be talking behind people's back. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with sexuality. It just has to do with this power or feeling superior or helping, you know, raising yourself up by stepping on somebody else's back. I mean, we're talking about a big, giant sociological thing, uh, but I think that that's the constant. Like, no matter what, we may be more open as a community, a society, whatever, but we are you know, we'll talk about that person. Did you see how much milk they took out of the fridge? They didn't close the fridge door. Oh my God. They put that fish in the microwave. Like whatever those things are, the people at work, the, you know, the relatives that are weird, we are, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I'm hundred percent guilty of it. I mean, you knew that when I was in college, my second degree was in anthropology, right? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. I love anthropology. And so part of what I love so much about Mean Girls is the anthropological and also like evolutionary biological take that it has on behavior. You know, what humans have to do with animal behavior, what humans have to do with just innate society and the way that they're structured. 
one of the most interesting things I remember learning in college was about this very small island tribe. It lived on an island in the Pacific. And whenever anybody got hurt, like if you fell down and really hurt your leg or your arm, the entire village would laugh. They just thought it was the funniest thing for one of their villagers to, to be wounded. And the anthropological explanation for that was when you're on a small island, you don't have a lot of ways of getting your aggression out at your neighbors and the people you see all the day. So when they get hurt, that's kind of your excuse to laugh and to purge some of the animosity you're feeling for like, maybe they stole your sheep. Maybe they took your boat without asking. And it, you have to have a release, you know, and gossip is that release. And a high school is basically a small island. You're adrift. You're with this small group of people all day, every day, seeing everything they do. And you have to get the way of expressing it. And I think one of the things that the film does so well is basically in this movie, information is currency. You know, it mm -hmm. always comes back to who knows what about who and what can you do with that? What can you buy socially with the knowledge you have on other people? And it almost is an economy of gossip. Well, but it's also about getting a friend, right? Because a lot of the uh, backstabbing goes on while one friend is secretly on the phone and the other friend doesn't know it, right? It's like this kind of sabotage. You you catch them in a lie, you say something, and in that moment, the friend that's setting up the other friend is your ally. And if you if you perform the right way, then you'll gain them as an ally. It's like, who's on my team? Like, what friend do I have? And yes, it's power, but it really is the want for community. And it's getting community through this kind of devious way instead of just community through like real connection and, and real feelings. And I think what the movie does, which I love, is it juxtaposes high school with animals, right? Like Katie looks at this and sees animal nature here. And I think there's one moment where, you know, in the film, she wants to literally, you know, fight Regina George, you know, because Regina George sabotaged her chance with this guy. And, you know, in the, in the Animal King, she would just jump on him or her and just beat the shit out of her. But in the world that we live in, the civilized world, you have to pretend like, oh, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't, you know, everyone puts on a fake face. And I think there's a part of this film that's like, we, we are animals that are constantly trying to hide that we are animals. And because of that, we are creating more tension and, and drama in our lives because we are just not acting sometimes on our natural impulses. And, and maybe that's not the best way to be. But I do think that there's an element to that where it's like, oh, it just makes more sense just fight, get it out, like get it like, you know, like that's what you want. But everyone tries to hide how they're actually feeling. You're right. There's the gap between the rage we hear at the giant fight scene right here. Here's what we're going to do. Rolly, we're gonna... Come quick. They've gone wild. The girls have gone wild. It was full tilt jungle madness. It wasn't going away. I pulled these two off each other. Coach Carr, step away from the underage girls. Versus the civilized way of how we handle aggression today, which you have Lizzie Kaplan lay out really well. Like, here is how you overthrow a dictator, which I think we shall be taking notes on. Regina George is an evil dictator. Now, how do you overthrow a dictator? You cut off her resources. Regina would be nothing without her high-status man candy, technically good physique, an ignorant band of loyal followers. Now, Caddy, 
If we want this to work, you are going to have to keep hanging out with them like nothing is wrong. Can you do it? So I guess basically what separates humans from animals isn't our emotions. It's just our intellectual strategy. Mm. You know, the, the ape isn't going to set a trap. Well, actually, maybe apes do. I mean, apes, gosh. You apes know, bonobos. I love them bonobos. But they, yeah, I, honestly, honestly, I'll walk that back and say, I feel like the more we learn about animals, the more we realize that we underestimate them and they are doing a lot of crafty, evil, complicated shit. Like I have, I've told you before that birds lie, right? No, I did not know that birds oh, lie. Oh, did you not know this? But oh, by the okay. way, you've just fueled my remake of Mean Girls for Pixar called Mean Birds. And we are going to do this <laughs> right now. So it's in a big Angry announcement birds deadline. Take you. note. Yeah. Yeah. No, birds lie. Okay. So they found out that like they would put these two birds in a cage, right? There'd be a little bird and a big bird. And then there would be two containers with food in it. One of them would have food. One of them wouldn't. They had heavy lids. So what would happen? is the big bird would be really lazy and like, I'm not going to go looking for food, whatever. And the little bird would do the work of pulling off the lid from one of the food jars. But as soon as it did, it started to eat the food. The big bird would come in and like push away and eat all the food itself. I swear I have a point. Here's how they lie. The little bird learned after it was getting bullied too much that it would lift up a lid. And if there was food in there, it would pretend there wasn't. And it would go to the other one and open that lid and be like, oh, there's food in here. And when the big bird got distracted, it would go back to the container that actually had food and start eating. Those damn birds. I knew they had something <laughs> going on. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. I also just want to talk about the directing of this film. And I talked about it a little bit earlier. I think what this movie really does well is use a bunch of different styles to really get out a lot of information. I mean, whether it's you're seeing the kids act like animals, whether it's direct-to-camera testimonials, the tremendous use of voiceover. Um, POV. POV. Like the POV camera when, oh, yes. when Katie's walking around. Yeah. And it made me actually really appreciate Mark Waters because what he's doing is something that you don't often see. That many mixes of styles in a narrative feature. And I think it's a little bit of a hallmark of some of Tina Fey's work too. But I, I, I was like, wow, more directors should be taking note of, of playing around with different things. Because I think it keeps the film really engaging. And it also does a great job of connecting you to so many characters. Because at the end, when we are having that come to Jesus moment, when all the girls are apologizing and being accepted and doing the trust circle, 
you feel like I can connect with these people. I know all these people and they're more than just, you know, our main characters. Like you, you get this high school and it's a pretty big high school, or at least there's a lot of characters within it. Um, and I just was really impressed with a film like this doing something as experimental as that. Yeah, it almost feels like you're flipping through the burn book in that it's kind of mixed media in the way that it tells the story. You know, it does turn into documentary style at one point. Like one of my favorite moments to imagine Mark Waters as a director is when they walk into the mall. You know, there's that mall sequence where suddenly mm -hmm. Katie pictures them as animals. Yeah. Being at Old Orchard Mall kind of reminded me of being home in Africa by the watering hole when the animals are in heat. <laughs> Jason, where? What I love about that scene and what I love to picture on the set is the moment when Mark Waters is like, you're walking, you're walking to the extras, you're walking, you're looking normal, you're looking normal. Now, boom, crouch, you're animals. And they just the physicality of that, how he turns them into mimes. You know, yeah. It's brilliant. It's really, it's really brilliant directing. And I, this is where I will take my moment to say, Mark Waters is underrated and Vampire Academy is a very good movie. I really do like Mark Waters and everything that I've read about him and and I've seen the way he kind of approaches things. And Vampire Academy also deals with issues like this as well, but just with the added effect of vampires, um, which look, Buffy did it too. Vampires, a good metaphor for high school. I get it. I want to single out a performance You know why? Here. Because why? high school sucks. Oh, Amy, you nailed it. You <laughs> nailed it. This is why we got a season two for you and me. These are the observations people are coming to see. Um, I do want to just take a moment to bow at the altar of Amanda Seyfried. Yes. I think Amanda Seyfried in this movie is perfection. It's her first uh, big role. Maybe it's her first role. I think it's her first ever. She had just graduated high school. I, I just, I was like, I can't get enough of this character. She plays dumb in such a fun way. And this is a great scene. I wanted to play the scene where basically Katie says to her, like, well, you know, you're not that bad at doing things. And this is what she says. You're not stupid, Karen. No, I am actually. I'm failing almost everything. Well, there must be something you're good at. I can put my whole fist in my mouth. Want to see? No, that's okay. Anything else? I'm kind of psychic. I have a bit sense. What do you mean? like I have ESPN or something. My breasts can always tell when it's going to rain. Really? That's amazing. Well, they can tell when it's raining. That monologue to <laughs> me is amazing. I, I was like, that is just pound for pound. Like, she delivers it so earnestly and, and you feel so much for her in that just, it's joke, 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 joke. But yet, it's not super heightened. I mean, it is and it isn't. I don't know how this movie walks this line, but it does it really effortlessly. We can have this many jokes, but yet you also feel like that's a grounded character. Yeah, it's like every line almost has like two beats to it, right? Like it takes this tiny little twist here, tiny little twist here. And you're not laughing. Okay, you are laughing at her, but not in that mean punchline kind of way. Not like the way you would laugh at a bimbo character in like an 80s movie where it's like, ha ha, her boobs are too big and she can't walk. Not in the way we would laugh at like, Hot Lips Houlihan. You know, this is completely different. And I just think Amanda Seyfried is honestly an actress we have not utilized correctly. 
Like when you see that clip, you are like, how did you not just have every role that a Marilyn Monroe would do? You are Marilyn Monroe. Like she has the beauty and the charm and the spellbindingness. She has that kind of kitten energy. I just think she's unreal. I thought you were actually going to play one of my personal favorite Amanda Seyfried clips from this film. This is when she wants to go hit on a guy she should not hit on. I'm fine tonight. Seth Mosikowski. Okay, you did not just say that. What? He's a good kisser. He's your cousin. Yeah, but he's my first cousin. Right. So you have your cousins, and then you have your first cousins, and then you have your second cousins. No, honey. Mm -mm. That's not right, is it? That is so not right. I mean, Paul, did you know, actually that Amanda Seyfried was another person who wanted to play Regina George, and she got really far. She was, like, down for final two for Regina George. Oh, wow. Wow, I wonder how that would have been, because I can't picture her not playing the part that she did. She's so perfect for it. Yeah, I mean, the way that Waters described her take on Regina George is, is he said she did it in this ethereal way that was kind of brilliant, he said, incredibly different from Rachel's, very, very different, but that she was somehow both ethereal and scary. He said it was weird. She was both more frightening, but less intimidating. You know, and wow. so I can't, I'm trying to even picture what that character would be. Like well, some sort something... of horrific, giant, godlike ghost. Like you're, I don't know why I'm thinking of Watchmen now or something. You know, but like I'm Watchmen thinking like, like you're wandering through. I'm thinking more in the animal kingdom. She'd be like a jaguar, like this majestic kind of mysterious creature who is, can pounce on you at any moment, but yet looks maybe calm or you know i don't know there's like an elegance to some of the most violent animals right like they don't they don't look violent they look you know especially yeah. like a jack like a jaguar like they were just panther born yeah. this way yeah. yeah they're just gliding man you know i want to talk about something that seems incredibly unique about this film as well which is it's not just about a boy right i think a lot of high school films that's the plot Right. It's it's a love story here. The love story is it's a part of the story. Right. Because you need that catalyst for Regina to steal back her old boyfriend to get Katie to kind of come up. But he's so inconsequential. Right. Like he is a reality check for the whole situation at certain points. But like sex and boyfriends play less of a role in this film. And I think that that's Again, another thing that's kind of refreshing about this film, um, and it doesn't make it like the centerpiece. Like these girls exist without boys. Yes, they're maybe motivated by you know wanting to date somebody, but it's it's weirdly not sexual in a way. Does that does that track for you? It does. I mean, I feel like maybe what you're saying is he seems to function in this movie more like a pawn, even. Yeah, he's he's what they're fighting over. He's like the raw steak that the jaguars are chasing, and he is. You know, almost a bit too diffident, I think, and a bit too logical and practical. He's he's kind of a perfect character in a way where he's like, that's too much. That's crazy. I don't know. I'm just a nice guy here. I guess I'll date Regina if she's being aggressive. I guess uh, maybe I don't know how you I, how if I respect how you're behaving. Yeah, when they because... get together at the end. I don't know if I even need that. I'm like, eh, you're not you're inessential. I could almost see you getting I could almost see her getting more together with like. Kevin from the Mathletes. Well, I mean, that's what I love about the end of the Lizzie Kaplan story, that Kevin and her kind of find this perfect bond. But I guess you're right. Like, I like he seems to me to be inconsequential in the sense that, you know, when I think about Clueless, I love that relationship between Alicia mm -hmm. Silverstone and Paul Rudd. And when I think about Heathers, I love that relationship between uh, Winona and Christian Slater. Like, those are these kind of classic 
teen romances. Even Ferris Bueller, I mean, he's dating Mia Sarah already, uh, Sloan. But there is like Breakfast Club. There, there's always a a drive of a relationship that is a little bit more pressing. In a weird way, I'd say Ferris Bueller maybe is a relationship with Cameron. But, um, but I, I just love that that kind of takes a back seat. Like, yes, the boys are part of the problem. Like, the boys create the issue, right? Because again, it's like currency. I want people to like me. I want to have friends. I want to have boyfriends. I want to like, and because of this pawn, they start to wreck their own lives. But this guy, like Regina doesn't even really want this guy, but she only wants him when she thinks that like Katie has a chance. So it's like, it becomes more about what you're saying, power. It's, it's, it's just a different way to tell a romance. It's almost like the way that Jonathan Bennett, who plays Aaron Samuels, and by the way, I feel like all the characters in here have two first names. Like huh. Aaron Samuels, Regina George. I mean, they're all just like doubling up on the names right there. Janice Ian. But Janice Ian, it. by the way, named after singer Janice Ian, who was uh, out and proud as, you know, a gay woman. So I think that was like a fun little nod to her as uh-huh. well, that Janice Ian is, you know, in the film labeled as being a gay, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. Oh, but yeah, I mean, he to me, he could almost be replaced by like. A teen beat cutout, you know, like his hair, he's he has nothing. that perfect crushable thing. Like his hair is just soft and crushable and floppy and his eyebrows he, are nice and thick. And he's just, he smiles in a way that's s- nice and bland, but you're not like, oh, I can't wait to hear what Aaron thinks about politics. No. Like, what's you, Aaron's favorite movie? If you were to do an amalgam of every cute guy to, you know, in this time, you know, you merge them together, you get this guy. And that. By the way, I think he does a great, <laughs> yeah, he, you know, I, I think he does a great job in this movie, but there is nothing like, I don't stand that relationship. By the way, did you know that, uh, that actor, Jonathan Bennett made a, uh, the burn cookbook, an unofficial on an unofficial authorized cookbook for mean girl fans with dishes no. that include, will you get pregnant and diet smoothie? Uh, you can't sip with us. Rosé cocktail. Uh, oh. why are you so obsessed with meat loaf? Um, and, <laughs> I thought uh, you were going to say mead, like the honey uh, wine. I was really waiting for that. And too gay to function cosmos. Uh, but yes. So, he so it's is, a drink book. It's it, like a, hey, get drunk. Uh, I mean, look, book. meatloaf is not a drink. Uh, but uh, but no, yeah, but I think the, meatloaf is an icon. Hey, amen. Again, this is why we have season two, people. <laughs> Um, but no, but no, but no, like, by the way, have you seen that meme? Cause suddenly Aaron Samuels is reminding me that where it's like 13 year old girls. Oh my God. Aaron is so hot. And the picture is a chihuahua in a hoodie. (laughs) No, because it is exactly dead on. Like when I think about the people I thought was, were hot in like middle school, high school, it's insane. It's absolutely. Yeah. That is a tough age bracket because you are so cute then. And a lot of actors fall into that trap where, uh, where you, don't age the right way. Like the hottest mm-hmm. high school guys, especially in high school films, do not always pull it together. They always maybe look boyish or yeah. It's so it's a weird, it's a weird curse uh, of it's the uh, attractive young man. Um, a gazillion years ago, I actually wrote a piece about that for the LA weekly, you know, because I, I am very serious that I think we are incredibly hard on teenage girls, especially at this moment, we are really hard on them. But what goes unseen is how hard we are on teenage boys who can't make that transition from high school cute. Because what I really believe is there's like a natural selection where the guys that girls find cute when they're young that you want to put in the movies and the TV shows tend to have like kind of a soft, unthreatening, feminine, quote unquote, appearance. You know, 
big eyes, floppy hair, kind. They look like your best friend, but you could make out with them, you know? Well, by the way, Tina Fey was like, I cast him because he looked like Jimmy Fallon. And what you're describing is Jimmy Fallon to a certain degree. Like, you know, it's a very accessible, sweet guy, especially Jimmy Fallon back in 2004. But then what you see happen, and I got really interested in this because one of my my huge crush when I was young was Jonathan Brandis. Oh, yeah. Jim or Jonathan Brandis. R.I.P. Like yeah. Deep, Ladybug, yeah. Side yeah. Heats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Deep Sea. Yeah. Sequest. He was uh, stepfather two, uh, stepfather three. He was my guy. And like he wound up committing suicide when he was 27, yeah. you know, and I, it, because I think he went through a lot of this thing. You're crushable, young, hot. You know, you're what girls like, but it doesn't age very well. And a lot of those people wind up having drug problems or dying. Like it's, there's a very rough call if you're not Leonardo DiCaprio who succeeded because he made himself look like a frog. He went 180 degrees in the other way. This, I believe this so strongly and someday I'm going to convince you. No, never. Amy, I think what the trick is to a certain degree is it's luck, it's talent. It's a lot of things at play and... You know, I think when you're exposed to that much success that early, you get caught in these moments. People don't want to put you in something because you're not, you're not what, oh, we don't want to be, this is not a Jonathan Taylor Thomas movie, right? It becomes about them, right? It, it, and I think, well, look, this is a much bigger conversation. I think the lucky thing with Leonardo DiCaprio is he's in the biggest movie ever. So he's able to sort of to use that currency to kind of do weird shit, but but people still know he's in the biggest movie ever, so he can still do other big shit. So he kind of hit like three out of the park home runs early on, and then he's just able to go and make weird stuff. But if- okay, yes, but I do think there is an element of natural selection where the girls that where the guys that girls pick out as they want to see, they deliberately pick people with features that don't age well. As proof of what I'm saying, like, I want to pick a guy that everybody agrees is a very, very hot adult, Joe Manganiello. Yes. And if you Google what he looks like in high school, I just Googled a picture and I'm going to show it to Paul right now. You will say, yes, of course, I understand. Sometimes what does not look hot in high school ages very well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that (laughs) if you look good, I mean, this picture you're showing me is crazy. I do think that's good. I, I, I feel like it's good to grow into your looks uh and you know and and uh if you've already kind of peaked in high school it's a it's sad it's a sad it's well that's not sad it's just it's unfortunate it's unfortunate we're jealous of you and also yeah you know another person that was actually up for that role was james franco which would have been really interesting because james franco in my opinion i think that he almost has too much personality for that part, right? I was just thinking the same thing. Because then you'd be like, are they a good personality fit? Like, he'd become yeah. less of a symbol. Yeah, he needs to be this kind of milk toast person. Because, honestly, it's the character I care least about. I, I am on the Regina George journey as well. Like, I feel like at the end, she learns something. Like, she has a full character arc. It's not like she changes drastically. But I feel like I like how it also shows that you know, you can change. You can go from being a queen bee to being, you know, on the uh, lacrosse team. And, you know, and I think so much of our high school time is the currency of, I need to stay in this group. I need to stay friends. And because of that desperation, I'm not going to change. Whereas what you need to be doing, and I think a lot of people do this when they get to college, is who do I want to be? Not who, you know, like, it's sort of like you're you find your friends in middle school and high school and you're like, I'm sticking with them. But is that who you want to be or just 
association. And I think that's why college is the most fun because people change so much in that first year. I mean, I remember my first year at college and like from day one to the even Christmas break, you're like, oh, fuck, that person got tattooed. That person got piercings. That person's gay now. Amazing. It's like, oh, you know, it's like it, it's a real moment to start new and how people want to start new is pretty it's pretty amazing. I think that this movie kind of shows up. Yeah, there's actually this movie that just came out last month called Yes, God, Yes. And it's about um, it's a cute little indie movie. It was supposed to be at South by. But it's about a girl who's at a really conservative Catholic high school and realizing that she has questions that they just will never be able to answer and that she doesn't fit in and trying to fit in over this like religious retreat. But the best scene is when she finally escapes this religious retreat and winds up at a lesbian bar and a lesbian just sits her down and is like, listen. My advice to you is go to college very far away. Just do it. Just go to college very wow. far away. Don't go to state. Get out of here. And you're like, oh, I remember that feeling. Yeah. You get know, out get of out. your house. I mean, I did that too. I mean, I only went to New York, but I got out the minute I could get out. And it was so much fun. Yeah. I was actually just talking about this with my boyfriend the other day. Like, um, I was saying how if I had stayed and gone local, which I was kind of thinking about, I would have just been a girl who only hung out at concerts all the time. Like I was just mm -hmm. a band girl and all my boyfriends were older musicians. And then getting out and going to college far away, the very first guy that I met was a double major in astrophysics and film. And I was like, oh, you can be smart. Like it had just not occurred to me. Right. You know, and no. it, it changed my entire life. And no offense if you do stay home and you go around there. But I think there is something to exploring and, and, and finding another part of yourself. And I hope people yeah. get that chance to do it. And you can do it at any point in your life. Uh, I think that we're seeing people are doing it later and later. I also think that's how it ties into the adult characters in this film. You know, Tim Meadows and Tina Fey are actually really well-drawn characters for a teen film. Again, I think the teen films draw adults with a, a very kind of broad brush for the most part. Um, and they're memorable performances, but here, you know, Tina Fey, is she a nerd? Is she popular? Is she dating? Like, we don't know, but there is something about her that again, feels like this is what a real teacher is like. And, you know, she gets in trouble in this movie because they say she sells drugs and you, you know, you see Tim Meadows. I mean, it's a little bit weird at the end when they're kind of forced to dance. It's like, oh, I didn't really feel that, but and, and weirdly fulfilling at the same time. But, uh, but you get to kind of see how these characters cope with the stress of being teachers too and and seeing how the kids act but yet having to be responsible but knowing what they're going through i i'm a fan of the adults in this film i mean i think there's an entire other movie to be made in the fact that tina fey's teacher also has to bartend during the weeks at yes. jay calamities just oh. to make ends meet that that is a whole other movie and when a whole I other grew truth up, that this movie at least acknowledges when i grew up i had a small movie theater in my town and my teacher worked there as an assistant manager and it was always like i felt so awkward i was like going to the movie theater and there was my teacher and it's like well you know what do you do and it's and nothing but that was what my teacher had to do. He had to work another job to make ends meet, uh, which is a terrible thing to say for the school system. And it was even a private school that I went to. So there's wow. that. Um, yeah. I mean, Tina said that she based this character on her favorite German teacher. I think her name was like Mrs. Norbury. And so she was like put in all of this love that she had for that character into this one. You know, I feel like there is just so much of her personality 
in this movie. And she also, by the way, based her health teacher on the coach, the coach who cannot give sex advice. His sex advice is don't have sex, have condoms. Oh. And he's sleeping with the, t- and the students at the same time. I mean, it's also little moments of that that just make this film feel so relevant. And so like, here's a story. We're going to keep talking about this. Coaches get skeevy. Teachers can get skeevy. We need to talk about inappropriate relationships in high yeah. schools. Yeah. And I mean, I think this movie does a lot of good stuff. I, I have to say, just to call it out, I felt a little weird about some of the Asian stuff in this film. I felt mm-hmm. like I was like, oh, I don't know why it struck me as a little. Look, I think a lot of the times you can you can kind of uh, or I think a lot of times in comedy, there's, uh, you know, there's an energy kind of thrown at Asian culture as like a punchline. And I think this movie it skirts it a little bit, but they also have those two girls saying the N-word in it, which I was like, oh, wow. It, like those two moments definitely just hit me in a in a in a way that I'm just bringing it up. I don't know if I have any bigger sentiment to say about it, but I was like, huh. I just felt like the Asian community was maybe be drawn with a slightly broader brush than the other ones. Yeah, it pops out a bit too, because sometimes I feel like when you see comedy from this era in particular. It felt like people were testing the limits of what they could go. Like almost the joke was that we thought it was cool to write that joke. I, am I, right. I don't know if I'm explaining that very well. And I'm no. not a comedian, so I don't have that. No. But sometimes I mean, it feels like the point was trying to be outrageous. And I and it does not age well. And it's very uncomfortable. Well, I because I also kind of applaud the fact that like Kevin G, uh, who we love, uh, Kevin G doesn't play into any Indian stereotypes. Like, And that's actually really cool. So this movie does some interesting things. And, you know, while there aren't really any main characters of color in the film, it, you know, I think that they do a good job of making Tim Meadows a well-rounded character, Kevin G, these these other people in the film. It You know, it, but it was a little bit, I don't know why that stuff was a little jarring to me in watching it. Maybe it's because the other stuff seemed so well done that you're mm-hmm. like, why did you have to do that? You did everything yeah. else so well. Or the way that, you know, I mean, it almost, it's it's crazy how just like 2014 feels like a different time. You know, the way yes. that like Daniel, Daniel Francesi, you know, he was talking about how his character Damien was really important to to becoming like a, a gay character where being gay wasn't all just cliches. And he got yes. to be a well-rounded person and he wasn't the butt of the joke for being gay. It was just like who his character was. He actually like 10 years after Mean Girls came out, like Daniel wrote a letter to himself and came out to himself. He said that when this movie came out in 2004, he was having a really hard time accepting his sexuality. And he brought a date to the Mean Girls premiere. He kissed his date on the lips on the red carpet. You know, really just to say, I'm not gay, because he was worried wow. that it would typecast him. And he had to suppress himself. And it was true that when this movie came out, because of where Hollywood was in 2004, the only roles he got offered were like gay cliche roles. And he couldn't get roles that weren't for a gay character, even though he was trying to ha- suppress that part of himself to try to have a career. And, and so and that, there was a lot yeah. of double dealing in that. Like he got to play somebody who was, I think, important and iconic for people, but also yeah, it was I, painful. That performance. And that's that's kind of the what I love about this movie. Again, just like I think Shit's Creek does an amazing job of this as well, which is, yep, you're gay. There's no there's no energy to it. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, 
and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. I want to talk about this film in context of teen films. Where does this fall for you? I, I think before I watched it, I probably had a lower opinion of it than after I watched it. I rewatching, I was like, wow, this movie is so good. And I remember really enjoying it when I saw it, but because, you know, it's not in, I often feel, at least for me, culturally, this isn't always in the same conversation as Breakfast Club or Heather's or Clueless. Um, it definitely is big. And I know it's big for especially people who grew up in this time. Like I was older than being in high school in 2004. So it didn't hit me. Those movies definitely hit me at the right time. This, you know, so I could be just talking totally out of my ass. But I think after watching it, this film really elevated for me. It's true. I mean, I think one of the things that we are going to have to keep a pulse on or keep an eye on for ourselves as we start even doing our new season is it's just an innate tendency, I think, to have films almost go on a, a kind of roller coaster in your heart and your estimation. Like if they just came out this year, they're like the best movie in the world. Right. But then if they're 10 years old, 15 years old, you're like, they're okay. But then if they're 25 years old, you're like, it's amazing. You know, yeah. your your ability to stick up for something really changes over time. And even knowing it, I still find myself doing it. You know, I still find myself being like, isn't Clueless the classic though? Because I love Clueless so deeply and because Clueless is older. But and it hits you, it bias. hits you in a way. Like to me, Ferris Bueller's Day Off will always be one of my favorite teen films because I saw it at a time when being a teen was aspirational. It felt so cool, it felt so big. You know, Breakfast Club at the same time. Like these are movies that I was younger than the characters in the film, but wanted to be them. And here, what I got to do is, yes, this, when I saw this movie, I saw it, I loved it, but I think I appreciate it for for the the way it stands the test of time in what it's saying. It's not just a movie set in high school. It's talking about something that is an epidemic in in our world, in our culture. And I, I think it, it's, it's pushing forward a, a beautiful uh, point of view, whether or not we listen to it. It's important to be out there because I think it, very rarely do movies address this. They, they address it like Clueless hits elements of this, like elements of it all over the place. Like, But this movie really focuses on that. And I think Clueless is super heightened. And I love Clueless. It's so good. We did our whole spool party about Clueless. But there's something that's unrelatable about Clueless, but really enjoyable, where this, I think, is much more of the working man's Clueless, if that makes sense. No, it's fair. Like, I, I adore Clueless. I adore Clueless. But it does operate on a different frequency. You know, I, I would never have the guts to watch Clueless and be like, I have so much share in me, you know, right. like because share is just outstanding. And because the movie is trying to be Emma, you know, it's trying to nod to things bigger than high school. It's trying to say this fits in this and it's true. And but 
But clueless, you're not supposed to say like, I completely relate to that experience of high school because it's not a high school like any of us went to. It's a very, very rich kids high school where everybody's incredibly privileged. You know, it's it's taking place in Beverly Hills and it's it's got a lightness to it that I love. And so it's almost hard to match them up. You know, to me, I feel like the more strong parallel to compare Mean Girls 2 is something like Heather's, you know, yes. which is also about female competition and meanness. But it, too, has that heightened thing where it's people are dying. People are getting yes, killed. Like right. people don't survive Heather's. So that is also more of an allegory about high school. And Mean Girls just is high school. I mean, well, the strongest thing here is people get in trouble. People lie. But well, maybe, it's not like anyone dies. Right. I mean, they do get hit by a bus. Um, but, you know, and when that moment comes, I mean, every man. High school has a person who got hit by a bus. I mean. <laughs> I, that moment, and again, another nod to the writing and directing, like this movie goes for it in some big ways, but I'm realizing as we're having this conversation that heightened comedy in high school probably stands the test of time and then more grounded stuff also stands the test of time. I think the ones that don't probably are films more like American Pie, American Pie or like Cruel Intentions. Oh, no, no. Mar- Cruel Intentions is amazing. Uh, look, I loved it. But do you think that that's still uh, like, I mean, is it, I mean, it's camp, right? Yes, it's like camp, yes, camp, camp. Yes. It's, no, it's uh, great. It's perfect. I mean, cool. I believe me, I own the DVD. I'm all on board. You can't, I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna shit on SMG and Ryan and, Felipe. But uh, I know what you're saying more like, like can't hardly wait or yeah. yeah like, like these the, kind of like nothings. And, and although they're great and I love those movies, they're cute and whatever, but there's something about like the staying power of maybe like this in a dazed and confused like Days and Confused also feels timeless. Like I wasn't alive for that. I don't know anything about it, but it's about real relationships. And and that's what this movie has. It's like real characters, grounded characters. We're living in the world. And and Clueless is like doing a little bit different. I don't know. It's it's uh I'm trying to figure it out. And as we go through this mini series of of back to school films, I think we'll be able to kind of start to parse it. But I feel like this falls in a camp of like the super bads, Days and Confused, um, these grounded comedies that are written, you know, to stand the test of time to a certain degree and not yeah, just play I mean, into smash mouth, this app, what, you know, whatever the thing is, you know, true. And adding on to that, I think one of the things that elevates clueless as well is, you know, I was talking about the memeization of it, but I think the memeization of it is really interesting to study because it's not just like only teen girls memeing mean girls, you know, like the people who have memed mean girls, it's insane when you look at it. We're talking about Israel. Israel, the country of Israel, has memed Mean Girls. What? Like back? I'm serious. Back in 2018, um, Khomeini, you know, the supreme leader of Iran, yes. he tweeted that Israel is a malignant cancerous tumor. And Israel tweeted back a gif of, why are you so obsessed with me? Oh, my God. I didn't even realize so, that Israel had a Twitter account. Oh, yeah. And, when, so, and so when a movie becomes a part of geopolitical negotiation... I think that's important. I mean, the White House, Barack Obama actually memed October 3rd to remind people of a presidential debate. You know, to be like, hey, it's October 3rd. Also, Mean Girls, October 3rd, blah, 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 blah. I mean, this keeps going. Actually, even just recently, the PM of Ireland quoted Mean Girls while talking about coronavirus. Listen. Many people have asked, how quickly can we bounce back? And how long will it take before our economy returns to where it was before? with a job for everyone who wants one, poverty in decline, and incomes on the rise. The truth is, we cannot know for sure. Some have asked whether there's a limit to what we can achieve. 
My answer is that limit does not exist. We've been here before. Do you really think that that's from Mean Girls? Oh, no, it is, because he got attacked for quoting Mean Girls for saying the limit does not exist, and he defended it. He's like, listen, I am a leader of a country. I think it's absolutely fine for me to quote poetry, novels, and also Mean Girls. He, I... he admitted it was on purpose. Well, Amy, the true test of a movie's longevity, of its cultural impact, is have they made a Broadway musical about it? And the answer <laughs> to Mean Girls is absolutely yeah. I listened to a lot of those tracks on the Spotify uh, playlist. I cannot make heads or tails about what this is about. Let's play a clip. This is uh, Meeting Regina George. My name is Regina George And I am a massive deal Fear me, love me, stand and stare at me And these, these are real All right, we got enough of that. Uh, but wow. I mean, it was not what I was expecting, and I jumped around a lot of the tracks. Can you make heads or tails of the plot of the musical? <laughs> you know, back when I was a theater critic, I had to review a lot of stuff like this, where it is just like, here is the movie you like, and everybody will quote it, except they will be doing it in song. And I've oh, never boy. actually loved this type. Oh, I mean, no. I've seen Dirty Dancing review musical. I had to review that. I had to review Bring It On, the musical. Everybody got a musical. Everybody got a musical. Everybody. The Bodyguard, the but, musical. But do they have a musician who is their number one fan the way that Mean Girls has? Because you know who loves Mean Girls? Who? Mariah Carey. I have actually a couple of clips to prove this. This is a surprise party that was Mean Girls themed that was thrown for Mariah Carey. Well, the Mean Girls theme, I'm very much like a couple years ago, I was just like, all I would do is talk like Dr. Evil. It was like I was obsessed with Austin Powers. And so when I see people who were around me for a long time, you know, at that time in my life, they're like, what are you saying? And they go into Dr. Evil. Everybody, like all my girlfriends that are around me now are just like, we're obsessed with Mean Girls because it's just funny. It's just one of those things where you start saying the little phrases and um, it catches on. We want to invite you to have lunch with us every day for the rest of the week. Oh, it's okay. Cool, miss. So we'll see you tomorrow. On Wednesdays, we wear pink. Oh. On Wednesdays, we wear pink. pink. And this is very cute. Oh. 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 Yeah. Why does the cake taste so fetch? <laughs> In fact, she is so much of a mean girl that she mean girled Nicki Minaj when they're on an episode of American Idol. I want to lose three pounds. I know how you can. It's a quote from Mean Girls. If you knew Mean Girls, you would know. I do know Mean Girls. Okay, who says I want to lose two um, Which character? Not not Lindsay. Yeah. The other one with the blonde hair. What's her name? You know something? <laughs> I just want to know. Broken promises. <laughs> oh, wow. Things are getting heated. <laughs> they are getting heated. And we will never forget Rachel McAdams. So I just want to talk about one more oh, second. Oh, please, yes, please, 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 Because I think she brings go. a brilliance to this character. What I love about her, Regina George, is she is scary smart. The way she manipulates people with the burn book, the way she acts innocent, the way she makes that phone call about Planned Parenthood, she is unbelievable. And I adore Rachel McAdams so much. I know that she's why I cried when I was watching Eurovision three times. Because she's when she, the best. She's the best. And when she does comedy, like the goodness that she radiates in Eurovision balances out the meanness that she does in Mean Girls. She can do all the emotions. And her goodness just made me love her so much. And the fact that she has not played 
the one and only Catherine Hepburn in a movie, in a biopic, breaks my oh, heart. Wow. And I just want to say, when your buddy Seth does the movie that he just announced, you know, the one about Scotty Bowers, yes, the yeah, gas yeah. station attendant mm-hmm. who slept with everybody, who I interviewed Scotty Bowers. I remember this. On yes. me and it was very confusing. Um, but he, Catherine Hepburn is in that book and I hope he finds a part and I hope that it is played by Rachel McAdams because isn't she a Catherine Hepburn? She, she, she kills it. She kills it. I've gotten to work like adjacent to her once or twice and I'm just blown away by her. I'm blown away by her. I think that she's underrated and she kills it in Eurovision. I love her so much. Now, we're talking about a movie that gets so much love across the board. But Amy, was there anybody out there that didn't like this movie? Yes, there were people who did not like Mean Girls. The review that I pulled is from Anthony Lane at The New Yorker. His problem was really comparing Mean Girls to the fact that he was just sick of talking about teen culture in general. So he said, what a relief to find that Mean Girls was set among competing kids in high school. I was starting to get withdrawal symptoms. It must be ages since the last high school movie came out. I mean, hours. Somehow, this movie seems to run at a slower pace than its own dialogue. I mean, the director, Mark Waters, nudges it along as though it were just another teen movie. Why do pretty maids always have to be photographed in a row in silky slow motion? Says Lindsay Lohan is left looking stranded. Understandably so, since her character's motives grow muddier by the minute. I would be more amused if the topic of rich material girls had not been worn to a thread elsewhere. It's all very well to satirize perfect white females, but if you're sick of their attitudes, why single them out as protagonists in the first place? What happened to the Asian nerds or the unfriendly black hotties or the tired teachers? Why can't we see a movie about them? Hmm. Interesting point of view that I really disagree with. I do think that based on this conversation that we had, we are looking at everybody in this film, not equally, but I think it's not just Regina George and the plastics. They're not just the problem. They're just a clique that shares the same problem that every other clique has. Yeah, I mean, he does kind of have my point. He's like, if you if you think this personality trope is so tedious, if you're so tired of it, what if we like found the characters that we loved and didn't make fun of them as mm. much? You know, I can see where he was going with it. I can see where he was going with it at the end, but I don't quite see that he thinks the film is so inert. I don't get that at all. I, I yeah, sense his no, weirdness. I mean, this movie moves. I mean, this movie really chugs along. All right, Amy. So we spent this whole episode applauding Uh, celebrating the director of this film. So I think it's only right that we talk to the director of Mean Girls. Uh, He's also the director of films like House of Yes, uh, Freaky Friday, Just Like Heaven, The Spiderwick Chronicles, and right now the film on Disney Plus, Magic Camp. Uh, Please welcome Mr. Mark Waters. So Mark, you directed Mean Girls, but I found when I was researching you an interesting connection that your brother also works in Hollywood. He's a famous screenwriter and wrote Heathers. And I was hearing a story that you kind of were inspired to become a director based on watching him work. So tell me a little bit about that. You know, I I actually went to college as a pre-med. You know, I went went to Penn. I thought I was going to be a doctor and then kind of got distracted by the women in the theater department and was suddenly I'm, I'm kind of going to see lots of theater in New York and kind of going, Hey, maybe I like this better, you know, and which, of course, you know, bummed out my entire family who thought I was going to be the one person with a stable job. I mean, but I, I loved my brother's scripts, you know, and then the, the script for Heathers. I mean, the first script for Heathers was, was uh, 192 pages long. And I wish that you could you could have had Stanley Kubrick direct it and have, have the full, you know, three hour version of it. 
you know, I was living in San Francisco. I was like, oh, I'll go visit my brother on the set. And, uh, you know, and, and I would see people who really had no business directing comedy, you know, just butchering these things. And, and I remember just looking around going, this is terrible. This is so funny. And I'm watching this scene just getting destroyed. And, and, I, and I remember literally having that moment of uh, inspiration saying, wow, if I could learn these cranes and cameras and stuff, I could come down here and probably work. And so, but it is bizarre that I ended up making Mean Girls, which is kind of like the, definitely the uh, a spiritual progeny of Heather's. So that, that ended up working out in a strange way. You, you mentioned that part of what drew you to wanting to do Mean Girls is that you called women, you said women were always a mystery to you and that they're endlessly fascinating and worth exploration. And I love the way you put that. And I thought, wow, yeah. when you put it that way, I'm surprised that more directors haven't made films about the world of women. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think women are way more interesting. You know? <laughs> you, know, you know, like dudes are like going into a men's locker room and walking into the showers. It's like, yeah, so what? This is football practice. Yeah, I've done this, you know, and like, you know, but but women are like still still just like they, you know, and, and I have you know, I've been married for 20 years and I have two daughters ages 14 and 18. And I still can't say I understand women, but but the the process of trying to is still a real thrill and, and, and a real interest to me. Now, did you come on to Mean Girls when it was rated R and then had to back it down to PG-13? Or did you come in when it was more going to be uh, a little bit less uh, R-rated, I guess? Yeah, because I heard this movie had a lot of fights with the MPAA. Yeah, I mean, backing it up, the, the, the script I read was called Homeschooled. And it was, you know, an incredibly foul-mouthed, R-rated script. And, uh, you know, it was great. Re- Regina George cussed like Joe Pesci and Joe and Goodfellas. You know, he, she was just like <laughs> dropping F-bombs right and left. And it was, it was a great, you know, subversive, funny screenplay. It was actually closer to Heather's when I first read it because of that, you know. And then, you know, and then yeah, as we were working on it, it became very clear that, the audience for it for Paramount was a, was an audience of younger women and they didn't want to have it be R rated. So, you know, they, and, and once again, Tina's very, very experienced and adept at getting around the censors. And then usually she's doing it for TV and, you know, and referring to female genitalia as her lady business. And she's always coming up with some <laughs> funny way to say the same thing. And so, you know, so yes, yeah, so then Mean Girls became the way, how can we keep the edge and keep the same, you know, language and, and, and energy to it, but not have anybody actually say any four-letter word? And that, that became the challenge. And then and also just pushing the humor. We, we, we had the thing where we had, uh, you know, the Amber D'Alessio used to, masturbate with a frozen hot dog and then wait then it changed to okay she just masturbated with a hot dog and then she made out with a hot dog you know (laughs) made out with a hot dog is like and that ended up in the movie we had to literally do a visual effect to change the burn book page to made out with a hot dog and that was the only thing we got and we were like that's a lame joke now like why we stay with that you know (laughs) masturbated with a frozen hot dog like yeah everyone gets that one you know but they yeah the one the big mpaa fight would that we won was when she said when uh, and I can't bring up the character's name now when she says you know I can't help it that I have heavy flow I have a heavy flow in a wide set vagina and and in <laughs> that that one they dug in on but you know uh, Tina wrote a brilliant 
you know, uh, kind of letter to the MPA accusing them of sexism when, you know, Ron Burgundy is walking around with a heart on and this, this teenage girl is referring to her, you know, to her actual anatomy in a very, very, you know, kind of uh, honest way. And they're saying that that's somehow vulgar. They, right. they, they had eventually realized, yeah, I guess we have to back down on that one. And, and we were able to keep that one in there. So, but uh, yeah. I was really surprised that the two films you pointed to as like films that really helped you understand how to deliver a comedy line, how to get your actors to deliver a line that's really scripted in a way that feels right for the scene. You pointed to two movies that we love here on the show. You pointed to Casablanca and Network. Yeah. Whatever. What can you say? That, you know, that, that I still, I still will, if I actually have to write some screenplay, which, which I'm not, don't like to write screenplays. I just sometimes feel compelled to do it or compelled to rewrite something. Right. You know, I, I much prefer to hire better writers than myself. But when I am about to embark on it, I will watch Casablanca just to get that magic sauce of dialogue flowing. Because, you know, it just doesn't get much better than that. And Petty Chayefsky obviously, obviously is one of the, the greatest ever, too. And that's just, you know, it's just cinematic candy to to watch Network and Casablanca for inspiration. But, uh, yeah. And we're talking about, like, these iconic films. And I feel like Mean Girls has now elevated itself in this way. Like, the phone tree scene that you created in this film is something that you've seen parodied people. It's, it's like a, a cultural touchstone to a certain degree from what I read too, like there was a little bit of trickery there, like, because you, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. you, yeah, you had to create this flow and Lindsay Lohan, what well, she couldn't be on set. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. One, one thing, one thing I did on that movie, which I've, I've used a lot since then is that I, I realized there's a lot of voiceover in the, in the script. And yet at the same time, I didn't want to necessarily have to stop the movie to, to deliver voiceover. And it wasn't like a lot of like, oh, I'm going to do a page of narrative description over a lot of visual action. Uh, so I, I said, you know what, I'm going to shoot pretty much all of these scenes at, at uh, speed. So I would shoot at 48 frames a second, which is, you know, essentially creates slow motion. But because it's divisible by 24 frames a second, you can kind of have it be slow motion or have it be regular speed and have it be sick dialogue. And so I would do that for pretty much all of the phone scenes and pretty much any time I was on Lindsay or on in a close-up with somebody in the same scene as her. So when we were doing voiceover, she would be able to talk ramp to slow motion while we heard voiceover, ramp out of slow motion and have her keep talking. And and in the, the, that, that phone tree scene, I would shoot everything with two cameras and have both cameras be, you know, at 48 frames as, as well. So I was able to kind of then in an editorial blend things together and be able to have, you know, one person be able to adjust the speeds of different shots on screen. So it looks like everyone's syncing up perfectly and when it's all cut together, but it's only because I gave myself that kind of room for manipulation when I originally shot it. Oh, that's so, I love that. It's such a small little thing that you would never, I mean, I think I would never think to even do. And it's a great way to keep that pacing without having to feel like if you didn't get it perfectly, it won't work. That's really great. I am curious. Have you ever been around somebody who quoted this movie? Have you ever overheard somebody quote this movie who didn't realize you had directed it? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> you know, I, have, I, I have two teen daughters, you know, and, uh, you know, there's, it's a rite of passage, really, right? Somewhere in middle school, probably when they turn 11 or 12, where 
their parents say, okay, it's okay for you to see Mean Girls now. And, you know, there's no, no joke. There's many a, uh, a 12th birthday party of, uh, you know, <laughs> friends of mine where they're like, we're, they, they said we're, they're doing, we're doing a sleepover for, for her birthday and they've, and they've insisted they're watching Mean Girls. You know, would you call and say hello? You know? <laughs> so it's, oh, wow. It's, and it is, it seems like kind of now this is perennial thing where, yeah, when you reach this age, the rite of passage is you will watch Mean Girls. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, which I, which I very, and I even heard a, a girl who got in trouble because she was 10 and she snuck watching Mean Girls where her parents said she wasn't ready for it. And she got, she got grounded. So I was like, <laughs> okay. But all that makes me feel great. Like, yeah, this has become something that is, you know, feel a rite of passage that every girl feels like they need to see at a certain point. I mean, Everybody in this cast keeps getting asked all the time about a sequel, as I assume you do, too. I mean, as recently as April, this April, Lindsay Lohan said she wanted to get you and Tina on the phone and talk about a sequel. I mean, under what conditions would you be open to it? Well, I mean, <laughs> the condition that Tina Fey wanted to write a sequel. <laughs> you know, yeah, if, 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 you know, if, if Tina wanted to take some time to actually craft a screenplay, you know, where you find these characters years later, you know, with the PTA or whatever, you know. Oh, wow. Then, I love that. Then, then, yeah, I mean, of course, it would be amazing seeing them as 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 young mothers, you know, and uh, it would be, but, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's uh, a lot of balls have to fall into place for that to happen, of course. You did have a Broadway musical made out of Mean Girls. Were you involved in that at all? Or did you, or is that just sort of you showed up uh, and saw it and were like, oh, wow, here we go. I, 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 yeah, I came to the premiere. That was about it. And, uh, you know, and I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, it was, it was really fun to see. And it, I was, I was, I was pleased to see that lots of choices in the in the musical like from the from the costume colors to everything we're like oh yeah that, that was definitely influenced by the movie um i thought tina did a great job also with the, with the book where she made it brought it into the age of social media and so social media they definitely takes a you know a big role in the in the modern musical version and uh, yeah, it was really it was really quite fun. But I, but I yeah, I had nothing to do with it. Well, we will we were we're gonna let you go because we've kept you for such a long time. But I wanted to ask you one question that I when I read this, I my mind was blown. I was like, you need to make this movie. And I think Amy probably doesn't know anything about this, so I want you just to talk about it if you can. Will you ever be able to make your Harlem Globetrotters beat the Lakers <laughs> movie? Because uh, when I heard about this premise, I'm like, I want to see this movie. This is a. This sounds like a just a oh, great. Yeah, no, uh, it's a. It's a. It's a yeah, great, it's a great story. It's a great story. It's, it's a. It's a true story. You know the yeah. uh, the actual it was, it was they because the Harlem Globetrotters were just a side sideshow team, but they weren't actually allowed to be in the NBA, and no African Americans were allowed in the NBA. And they, but they, but the uh, Abe Saperstein who founded the Globetrotters, you know, just kept pressing kept challenging them saying we can beat the 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 world champion lakers with the george mikan who's six ten and a half at the time and then dominating the game is that we we can beat you guys straight up and they did they beat them 49 47 on a last second shot and it it was you you couldn't have scripted it it really happened and and it was a you know and then the the really the year after that the nba said oh maybe we can have african-american players and then he completely transformed wow. the NBA from that point on. Um, you know, it's interesting. It's a project I love. And when when uh, it was at Sony, Amy Pascal is the one who hired me to uh, to direct it. 
And then literally a month later, Amy Pascal was, was no longer working at Sony. And then the project kind of went into development and, right. and I, the new people didn't want to make it. But the producer, John Davis, is still uh, tirelessly trying to make it. And he and I talked about it recently, but, you know, and, and uh, he, he has done the right thing, which he has hired a young African-American filmmaker to direct it. So, is which sense. you know, I, which right, is right, exactly yeah. what should be happening, sure. and 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 and, re, and also the script I believe needed to be rewritten to kind of be more less Abe Saperstein story and more about Abe Saperstein and Inman Jackson, who was the first uh, yeah, coach right. of of the team. And so, you know, basically, and and and, and actually, this is something I've been telling you know John Davis that we should, you know, we really need to make re change the script into being more of a two hander about their relationship and how they've kind of put the team together. So they're doing that and they're going to, they're going to hopefully get a chance to make it, but it won't be me. It will just be as a, as a friend of the court. Well, I, I, I just love that you were involved in it and it, it sounds amazing and actually <laughs> sounds great right now. Um, and, and you Paul have, is yeah. mean girling me and trying to make me hear the phrase Lakers getting beaten, Lakers getting beaten over and over again. Cause I'm a, I am a, I am a Clippers <laughs> fan. I'm used to hearing it on the other side. So, uh, oh man, well, but you got your wish the first, first day. You know, I hope so. Finger, playoffs, yeah. God, fingers yeah. crossed, just not being too bold about anything right now. Just sitting back. It's a long, long track ahead. <laughs> um, you're, yeah. you have a brand new movie out on Disney plus called magic camp, uh, which is a movie that I've been tracking for a while. And it's got a great cast of Adam divine, uh, Jeffrey Tambor, Gillian Jacobs, uh, so many fun people in here. It's basically about a bunch of kids who go to like a coming of age story about kids who are going to a, this magic camp, which is a real thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I, I like the, the short form I like to say is it's basically um, School of Rock with magic. <laughs> I'm in. And, By the way, that and, you've said and, <laughs> that's all I need. Yeah, Adam's like Jack Black. He's kind of a disgrace you know, former ma magic prodigy who's kind of lost his love. And then he ends up going and, uh, you know, going and teaching at the camp and become a counselor. And then suddenly he finds he loves magic again and actually loves kind of, uh, you know, teaching these kids to do it. I mean, the cool thing about the movie was that we had this incredible team of magic consultants headed by Justin Willman, who has, has the yeah. that show Ma Magic for Humans on yep. Netflix. And yeah. uh, he, he, uh, he, you know, he basically... He, he did actual magic camp. They, they, the kids spent like six weeks training in magic and, and they did all of the illusions themselves. And so, and we did wow. it without visual effects trickery. So everything you see in the movie, we did live you know, for real and, and, you know, and, and actually did the, 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 the illusions in camera. And so, and it was cool. These, these, these kids were great actors, but also became great magicians. That's amazing. Well, definitely check that out on Disney plus, uh, Mark, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. This is great. And, uh, yeah, Amy, anything else? No, Mark, thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, coming to our classroom. We appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, this is so interesting. And I love that this is our first film in, I love that it's, very different from the AFI list that we have been existing in for such a long time. Like it feels to me so refreshing to jump in and watch Mean Girls. First of all, you are just seeing a fully female fronted film, which I feel like has been harder to come by on the AFI list. And, uh, you know, I think now, you know, we're considering all these films to be on our new list. And Amy, I know you have a question that we really must debate. I do. You know, in season one, we would wrap up talking about a movie by asking the question, does it belong on the list? 
which was really easy to do. And we had 100 films that were on a list and we were looking to purge. And that question is a lot harder now because we are rebuilding. And I imagine we're going to watch a lot of movies that we want to say yes to. And I really want to do this right. So I've been thinking we have to replace the question of does this belong on a list? I mean, now we aren't even working with a list. We're making a list. We're creating with a question that instead I think frames the list that we want to build. A list that is not as slanted to a handful of the same genres and a handful of the same names, a handful of the same stories. You know, the thing is, if we're going to build the best list, we have to be thinking beyond good and bad. Most of the films we want to watch this season are good. You know, I think good is a given. I think instead we want to be thinking really hard about how these 100 films will combine and work together to tell the story of film. And so that's why, you know, when I'm picturing this, I'm picturing, you know, when we blast these 100 films into space. If the planet gets destroyed, but an alien finds our 100 movies, what are they going to learn about us from the art that we made? You know, who will they think we, we humans were, you know, of all of these gin joints and all of these video stores, what is our legacy? So that is why, starting now in season two, I think our new question at the end of the film has to be, what would an alien think of this movie? So, Paul, what would an alien think of Mean Girls? So if aliens pop this into their DVD player, they don't have Blu-rays, they just have DVD players, uh, what would they think? I think they would view this as a documentary on high school life, which I think is a good thing. I think it would really explain and boil down high school. We've talked about how there's certain heightened high school movies. There's other high school movies that don't really portray real characters. But this is, as we talked about it, a realistic portrayal of a persistent problem in a a middle-class high school, right? This is not everybody's high school, but this is a, you know, but I think the problem may be persistent uh, no matter where you are. It could be in a prep school, it could be in an inner city school, it could be anywhere you want. Yeah, I mean, for an alien finding this movie, along with 99 other movies, I think what they would get out of it is I'm glad that they would get a sense of the sense of humor of Tina Fey, because Mm -hmm. I think this is where she starts becoming such a giant brand, right? The Tina Fey brand. This is out. The, she does Mean Girls before she before Thirty Rock. Yeah, she's on you SNL know? when she's doing this. Yeah, she's on SNL. I mean, she's like taking an eight-hour car ride to get to the set when she's done shooting SNL, like overnight to try to be there. She's trying to do it all and fit it all in. And so, as one of my favorite comedians of this era, you know, her and Amy Poehler. I'm glad we have both of them immortalized forever. A- Amy Poehler getting her. Also, baby Boot mama chewed on by a dog. I actually like baby mama. A I lot. do too. I'm just saying. You know, by baby the way, mama. they put a cocktail wiener in her bra so that yes. the dog would go after her bra. I did know that. <laughs> but yeah, I think that you would actually get a good sense of the Hollywood big studio comedy if you saw this movie, like what a modern big studio comedy looked like, the way it was shot and filmed. You know, the kind of colors, the energy of it, the pacing, the music, the sound of the air. I think the sound of it is very on, and I'm glad that people would would get to know humans and all of our good and bad foibles because i do think this film has an honesty to it that i really respect not everybody as well as it being funny as hell yeah not everybody is good and not everyone is bad right like we can have shades of both and i feel like this movie because it was a little bit more female centric had to jump through a lot more hoops than a traditional male driven film because i think i think there's a little bit of a sliding scale there amy this has been so much fun our first episode of season two I've loved talking to you about Million Girls. I cannot wait to continue our journey into back-to-school films. I know. And yes, we have retired the Is There a Simpsons clip. 
But I thought just to help us transition out of it, because I will I will miss it very deeply. Tina Fey has said for the record that when she was in school, she was very much a Lisa Simpson. So we're getting uh, the ethos of a Lisa Simpson in this movie. I think that that's perfect. We are continuing this miniseries of Back to School with a film that actually made a very big impression on me when I was a kid. I loved this movie. Edward James almost, Lou Diamond Phillips, and a film based on a true story. It's called Stand and Deliver. Yes, it's based on the true story of Jaime Escalante, a math teacher here in Los Angeles who became the man of calculus and got his students to become calculus masters. Take a listen to a clip. Stay awake as you're waking up. Wake up this morning. How are you? Bring toothpicks. You pinch open your eyes. Can we talk about sex? We discuss sex. I have to give sexual homework. I wouldn't do that if I was you. I'd lose a finger. I won't be able to count to ten. At a tough school, someone had to take a stand, and someone did. Now the critics stand up and cheer for Stand and Deliver. Terrific. Tremendous, gripping, and compelling. More exciting than La Bamba. Edward James Olmos. Nethead. Lou Diamond Phillips. Stand and deliver. Amy, I'm getting ready to get my calc on for next week. Is that a term? Did I just make that up? I think that joke is still on the scratch paper. (laughs) All right, we'll see you next week for (laughs) Unspooled Stand and Deliver. making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.